There have been times where we are with other people, perhaps. Especially if we are with other people who are working with us at something. And one of those individuals announces and they just ask everybody, would you like me to go get food? It's almost lunchtime. It's almost dinner time, whatever it is. And often that is music to our ears as we're working. And I mean, as, as human beings, we love to eat, don't we? There's just something that, that we enjoy so much and that is so necessary within us as people in the idea of, of sharing a meal with other people at a table. It is something that is obviously essential to our survival as people, where if our hunger is not indulged, then clearly we, we will perish. We, we will not survive. I also find it very interesting how crucial eating is to the Christian life. How among the reasons why Jesus said that he had come to this earth, scattered all throughout scripture, is, is this very interesting um, a declaration Jesus says as he says that the Son of Man came eating and he came drinking. And this is what we find in the early days of the original first century church as we, we see these original Christians meeting in each other's homes, sharing the intimacy of a meal. And it just seems like first century Christianity is revolving around a table and around sharing a meal with other people. I mean, it's absolutely central to the Christian life. And yet as we have, have seen in these in this past month, in Matthew chapter 6, as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has opened up chapter 6 speaking about three very specific spiritual habits and of a discipline that are to be a part of his followers' life. And we had seen a month ago how Jesus says, when you give to the poor, and we learn from Jesus that, that as we give generously to those who are poor, that, that even though it's true that we are emptying ourselves monetarily in terms of our time, and we're emptying ourselves of our energy a lot of the time, there's just something so beautiful as we give generously to the poor that God is still filling us up spiritually in the process. In our last couple of messages, we have also seen Jesus say, likewise, when you pray, and how so often as we speak to our God in prayer, we are emptying ourselves of all of the burdens of our heart and soul. We are emptying every last drop of, of the sponge of our, our um, hearts, psychologically, mentally, even in, even in a physical sense sometimes, we are emptying ourselves. And yet how there's something so sacred about prayer is that even as we empty our own selves, God is filling us up overflowingly in our human spirits. And so along those exact same lines, Jesus, he continues in verse 16, and we, we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus speaks about when you fast. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16. Let's read what it has to say. Where Jesus says that whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do or as the religious actors are so inclined to do, who neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. 
Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, Jesus says, when you fast, anoint your head with oil. Wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, Jesus says, is going to reward you. And again, just let me say that that I am just like everybody else. I absolutely love to eat. My three most favorite things, I mean, I I actually sat down and compiled a list of my three favorite things to eat. Number three on this list is chicken cordon bleu. All right, so if anybody wants to have us over for for a meal anytime soon, I'm just dropping hints. Chicken cordon bleu, you're going to make me a very, very happy man. Second on this list of of what I enjoy eating the absolute most is carne asada at the Cheesecake Factory. That's the only thing I ever order at the Cheesecake Factory, but, but clearly, let's get to number one. The number one thing that I love to eat the very most, anybody know? Kathy and Donna's carrots. Kathy and Donna's magical carrots, as I like to refer to them as, that, that's my favorite thing in the world to eat. But once again, what Jesus is inviting us to here in Matthew chapter 6 is he's speaking about appetites of a new kind. And ironically, he speaks about fasting. Now we would think that, that really fasting is the exact opposite of what it means to actually eat or to assimilate. And yet, we, we all know that, that, that as we read about fasting in Scripture, what this means is that, that a person is abstaining from eating food or maybe even drinking anything, any kind of liquid for, for you know, spiritual purposes. And I mean, there are all kinds of reasons why we find people in Scripture who are fasting. Now, we don't have time to look at all of the examples, but I just want to look at a few examples. We... we Really, what we see about fasting is that I would say that the essence of of what fasting is and what it's intended to to really be for us is that we are giving God our undivided attention. You see, this is very necessary for us ever so, so often in our lives because when we fast, we are breaking loose out of out of a straitjacket of our everyday common routine where, where we wake up and we eat and we go to work and we eat, we come home and we eat. It breaks us out of that everyday common routine. And there was only one instance in the entire Old Testament in which God's nation Israel had been commanded that they were to fast. And that was one day every year on the Day of Atonement. And so what the Day of of atonement was really in a nutshell in just maybe two minutes or less is that the day of atonement comes every year where the entire nation of Israel calls or rather they they am going to a, a memorial meal and yet the interesting thing about the day of atonement is that this was a feast that was a fast where not one bread not not one crumb of bread Not one bite of physical food, not one drop of physical wine was consumed. 
but rather every man, woman, and child in the entire nation of the people of Israel were, were to come before God in fasting as a means of acknowledging there before God, God, I have wretchedly sinned against you. And yet more than anything else, what the, what the acknowledgement was of the Day of Atonement is that God, I am, we are powerless to pardon ourselves from our own sin. And so a bull and a goat would then be sacrificed. And once that blood had been sprinkled, you would have a scapegoat called Azazel. And you would release Azazel into the wilderness as a living symbolism that, that our sins have now been forgiven by God and that we are now a pardoned people. And yet, notice how it, it all begins with God's people coming before Him and abstaining from their physical food first as, as a means of fasting. I love how one minister who is my absolutely favorite theologian, Brad Nelson, and what he says about fasting is this. He says that every time you, you feel the pangs of hunger while you fast, you remember, God, you have my undivided attention. And so this is what fasting is. It is giving God our absolute undivided attention. And yet at other times we also see people fasting and the reason why they had fasted is because they were, were direly in need of the guidance of God the Father. This is what we find Jesus doing. I mean, he, he has just been um, immersed in the Jordan River. He is still dripping wet from his baptism. But we find Jesus immediately entering into a very serious, a very tremendous season of temptation in, in his life upon the earth. And the reason why I know this was a severe time of testing and of temptation for our Lord, it's not exclusively because angels had been sent to his side in the aftermath of these temptations, Luke chapter 4. And yet especially because we find Jesus spending a month and a half fasting. He doesn't eat a bread, or I did it again, he doesn't eat a crumb of bread or a drink of liquid for a month and a half. And he's out there in the wilderness. And yet when he seeks the um, guidance of Jehovah God in this way, notice what happens though, as, as he is tempted. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says, and he echoes what we hear the Israelites saying in the days of, of the wilderness, as he says, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It echoes what we hear Job saying in Job chapter 23 and verse 12, as Job is fasting before God in sackcloth and ashes. And what he says is that, I have treasured the words of your mouth, notice, more than my daily necessary food. And in this, what we see is that as crucial as physical food and physical liquid is to our human bodies for our survival, there is a spiritual feast. There is a spiritual assimilating that we are also to undergo. These are our spiritual appetites where we digest biblical concepts and we taste and we see that the Lord is good in so many different ways. And when we do this, what we're doing is that we are receiving guidance and we're giving God our undivided attention. And yet it also, 
many other times, there was also something you would do when you would repent. Now, of course, repentance is the Greek word metanoia, which means that you put on a brand new head and you no longer live as you once did or even think as you once did. And we remember in the days of the prophet Jonah, Jonah speaks and he cries out in the very corrupt city of Nineveh. And much to Jonah's chagrin, the entire nation of Nineveh comes before God in sackcloth and in ash, fasting there before God. Every man, woman, child, and even animal is dressed in sackcloth and in ash. And we know that the heart of our God is so sensitive when, when anybody receives Him in this way. And so we see how, how crucial fasting is when a person repents sometimes. Once again, I appreciate what we hear from a theologian named Richard Rohr. As, as he says, prayer frees us for God. Giving to the poor frees us for other people. And when we fast, that, that frees us from ourselves. What a beautiful concept that is, is that I, I, God, I want to be freed from my own self and I want to make room for you, oh God. That's a very beautiful thing. And yet, even though it's true that, that when we fast, that, that it is a, a spiritual feast that we undergo, if that's true, why do we ignore what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6? Why has this become some kind of archaic commandment of Jesus or of a teaching of Jesus that has fallen so much by the wayside in the world and especially in our culture of today? If you notice in our text, just as Jesus had said with regards to when we give to the poor and when we pray, Notice how Jesus does not say, if you fast. But rather, what Jesus says is, when you fast. Jesus assumed that we would be men and women who would fast before him. When you fast. I mean, he, he says it twice in our text. When you fast. And yet, in our church culture, though, we are not so fast to fast, are we? We've all heard of a last supper Jesus had with his apostles, but if it's true that fasting is a feast, then what we're looking at this morning is it's the lost supper. The lost supper that we need to desperately bring back into our lives once again. And I don't really know why it is not exactly chic in our church culture to, to fast anymore, but Maybe, maybe, maybe the reason why we don't fast as we should is because, frankly, it's just un-American to do that. I mean, it can be so intoxicating driving down the streets of our cities all across America. And, I mean, on one corner we got McDonald's, on the other corner we got Chick-fil-A, we've got the Cheesecake Factory, we've got Applebee's, we've got Costco where you can get these, these ginormous quantities of food and have a tank as your, your shopping cart and... I mean, it's like, Jesus, I was with you when you were climbing up a cross so that you could redeem me. But, but Jesus, I know that you're not messing with Taco Tuesday now. 
And yet Jesus is saying, yes, if, if that is what it takes, sometimes I am coming after Taco Tuesday. Maybe it's just un-American where, where we as Americans have just become so, I mean, so, so programmed and sensitized to always being comfortable and having conveniences and luxuries around us at all times. That what Jesus is speaking about here is an entirely foreign concept to our mind. And yet, if I could guess, though, and I mean, listen, I can only speak for myself. But I know that probably the reason why I have not fasted as much as I should have in my life as a Christian is because sometimes we are too attached to what distracts. And I think about what the Apostle Paul writes as he writes to the church of Philippi, and he's speaking about many people in and the way that he describes them is that he says that their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. They set their minds on earthly things. And then he reminds that church there in Philippi that, that our citizenship is in heaven. From which we also eagerly await a savior who is the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about another occasion as Jesus has just, he's performed a miracle and he's, he's fed an entire multitude out of just a few loaves and a couple of fishes. But many people seek Jesus out wanting yet another free lunch and that's all that they want from Jesus. Notice what he says in John chapter 6 and verse 27 as we hear Jesus say, do not work for the food which perishes but rather work and rather live for the food which will endure to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Once again, what we find is spiritual feasting, spiritual assimilating, spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst being gratified by Christ Jesus. Oh, man. I'll never forget at one of my hometown churches many years ago when I was a lot younger. I remember one morning, my older brother Adam had, had spoken on communion that morning at the Lord's table. and He may have gone a few minutes over what, what American church convention might permit. And I mean, there was one person in that church who had come up to, to Adam and who had rebuked him. And what her complaint was really predicated upon was, young man, don't you know that I've got a pot roast in the oven? I mean, if your almighty pot roast is more important and it's taking on a greater precedence in your heart than taking the Lord's Supper together as a church, then, then sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ and hearing a teaching from his word, loving each other and uplifting each other, if that has taken on a greater precedence in your heart, then by all means do not come to that church assembly. Stay home and cook your pot roast to perfection. Do not rush the church of God through communion, through learning about how we can live a pleasing life to him. And yet so often our physical feast, we prefer it over the spiritual feast, don't we? 
we're at another church once upon a time and we were having a baptism on a Wednesday night and we were very excited about this, but I watched half that auditorium clear out. I mean, she's just two minutes away from giving her life to Jesus Christ and one couple in particular had, had approached me and who said, listen, I think we're just going to run. We, we need to, to get a bite to eat now. And again, I try, not, I try so hard not to judge people. Maybe one of them is diabetic, perhaps. Maybe they had been fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and that was the end of their fast. Maybe, probably not, but... It's like... You can't fast for just two more minutes of your life and welcome this woman into Christ's kingdom. You got to go get a bite to eat. You got to get to Arby's. So often we pursue the things of this world and the appetites of our flesh and of this present world so much more than we do of the spiritual feast and of the spiritual banquets. And yet the reason why I am spending so much time emphasizing what Jesus is saying to us this morning with regards to when we fast is because there's just something so unspeakably sacred and beautiful when we are willing as American people to just make ourselves temporarily uncomfortable before God and to say, God, I am emptying myself of, of myself. And I am emptying my own self of this world and I want to indulge in the things which are everlastingly eternal in Jesus Christ's name. I'm ashamed of the fact that, that I have not been regularly fasting throughout my life as a Christian. But I can tell you that every time that I have ever entered into a time of fasting, it was not comfortable. I mean, it, it was not very comfortable. But I never in my life felt closer or near to the presence of God than, than in those times when I had. Well, Jesus has shown us what fasting is, and then he also says what fasting should never be in his followers. He speaks about a couple of things that a lot of the ancient rabbis evidently had been doing where he says, do not put on a gloomy face as the scribes and the Pharisees are so inclined to do when they fast. Now, if, if you have a dog at home, you know all about what this face is because it doesn't matter if you feed that dog 12 times a day. When you eat at the dinner table, you're going to see that dog with the saddest look on its face. Like, please. And, I mean, dogs are such con artists. I mean, they are looking at you like, okay, just give me half of your, your steak and we'll talk about it later, all right? But they just have this poor little puppy face that they show. And in that same exact way, there were many rabbis living in this time, fasting in a very public sense, casting a spotlight on their own religiosity and they would look at people while they had fasted and just waiting for them to establish eye contact with them. And the moment that they had established eye contact, they, 
instantly lapse into this very gloomy face that Jesus speaks about. Now, if you are going through a tragedy in your life, there is nothing wrong with having a gloomy face. Jesus was the man of sorrows, and there, there is a time and a place for us to have a gloomy face. Jesus in no way is saying that we just um, hide our, our um, sorrow. But really what he's speaking about is, is, are all these people fasting with the intention of being seen? Jesus also mentions how, he says, do not neglect your appearance. Now that word neglect in the original language, it means to disfigure. It means to destroy. But, but really the most helpful meaning and definition of this word neglect means to render something unrecognizable. And so what Jesus is referring to here is that many rabbis, when they had fasted in a very public sense, they were so much embellishing and amplifying their outward appearance of fasting that you couldn't even really recognize who these people were. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, a lot of times in the ancient world, any time that a person fasted, you would wear sackcloth and ash. And so it's very likely that, that many of these ancient rabbis have been walking around fasting and they were wearing sackcloth on a weekly basis. And so many people who are not rabbis see them walking up and down the street wearing sackcloth and their hair is all, all disheveled and they have neglected even their, their own hygiene. They've got ash rubbed all over on their face. And it's like you couldn't even recognize who they were. But here's where this gets very interesting, though. Is that scribes and Pharisees, mainly those who were Pharisees, they were notorious. They were known to be people who would fast every single Monday and Thursday of, of any given week. Now, what is so significant about Monday and Thursday is that these were marketplace days in Jerusalem where the very days that the ancient rabbis had chosen that, that we're going to fast on this day they specifically and intentionally chose the marketplace days when the city of Jerusalem is absolutely inundated it's buzzing, it is electric with, with, with all these people buying and selling food eating food it would be something like in our modern day world if, if the entire church went to a golden corral after services on Sunday and you get to golden corral and just before you get in you, you, you notice what, what appears to be a homeless guy sitting out there on a curb. And then you look closer, it's like, wait a minute, that's David. David, is that you? And then the guy goes, yeah, that is me. Then he asked him, what are you guys doing? Well, we're about to go into Golden Corral and have lunch. You want to come with us? Our treat. Then the guy with almost a smirk in his sadness, still he, he, he maintains his character and he says, you know, I, I sure would love to go in there with you and, and to eat for an hour straight at that all-you-can-eat buffet. But after all, I am too busy praying and Fasting before God. 
And I mean, a lot of people had been fooled in this ancient world. They would look at people doing stuff like this and say, what a godly man, wow. I could never fast as much as he fasts. And Jesus says they've got their reward in full. But once again, Jesus invites us to a transforming initiative where he says this rather is, is, is how you need to fast. And once again, what he is inviting us to is not normal human behavior. And it is so revolutionary. I just want to read verses 17 and 18 once again. As Jesus says um, in our text, he says, But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but rather by your Father who is in the secret place, one translation says. And so what Jesus is saying to us here is that when you fast, and, and if you have to be around other people out in public, destroy the evidence externally destroy the outward evidence of, of any semblance of the fact that you are fasting. I think a modern day way to, to express what Jesus is saying here is that when you are fasting, shave, shower, splash on cologne, and I mean, buy brand new clothes just before you go out. And when you run into people and, and other people recognize you as you are fasting, do not look gloomy, but, but rather do the exact opposite. Look so alive that, that, that you might convince them that, that you are on your way to Los Angeles for a vacation at Disneyland. When they ask how you're doing, unless you are going through a tragedy, show so much joy and so much life within you that it's as if you just got through pigging out a golden corral for two hours and you stuck your head in the chocolate wonderful Destroy the evidence of the fact that you are fasting in these settings. You see, what the essence of fasting is, is that drawing near to God in the secrecy of fasting is a feast to the human spirit. When you do this in secrecy and in privacy, it, this is not something that is going to make a name for yourself. It's not going to get you 300 likes on Facebook. It's not going to cause one single person to ever see you walking down the street and, and, and go, whoa, there goes Jesus Christ superstar right there. Yeah. But we will experience intimacy with Jesus Christ. And we will enjoy and we will marvel at the transformation being done in our hearts and in our minds and in that process. So as we bring all of this to a close this morning and, and we go to the Chandlers in just a few moments, really what the backbone of fasting is, is drawing near to God. And as we remember, on one occasion in Scripture, there, there is a promise made to us when we draw near to God that, that when we draw near to God, God draws near to us. You see, this is just another way. Fasting is just another way that God draws near to us as we draw near unto Him. Maybe how you want to respond to this message here this morning is to actually and to literally fast. 
and to go without a meal or two. But really what I want to invite us all to is to this truth that so often goes overlooked. Is that when it pertains to our fasting, oftentimes it is food and drink. But it doesn't always have to be food and drink. But really what the idea of fasting is, is that I'm going to abstain from any distraction from any rival to Jesus Christ being the most important love in my life. And so maybe you have have caught yourself being very negative lately, very argumentative and paranoid and just very mad all the time because after all, you are spending three hours every single night watching the news. Maybe how we could respond to this message if this is a description of us. Is to just change where you're getting your news. Maybe what we need to do is to fast from CNN. Fast from from MSNBC. Fast from Fox News. And for a week, or for a day, or for a month, or forever, get our, our news first and foremost from the Sermon on the Mount. Or we read Philippians. Whatever it takes for us to get all of this negativity poison out of our, our minds until we can watch the, the, the news through the eyes and through the lens of Jesus Christ. And I really believe that the flaw of, of political parties is that so often what it is is just us and them rhetoric. To where when a person is going off on a political rant, so often what it is is that my political party is always right and your political party is always wrong one million percent of the time. But the fact of the matter is nobody, no political party is always right one million percent of the time. But so often what it is is that we are so oftentimes wrong. And Jesus is the only one who is always getting it right. And I just want to say that that if we, in our homes and in our families, are talking about nothing but Donald Trump and Joe Biden every single day of the week, but we never talk about Jesus Christ, that's a problem. If all that we ever speak about in our homes and in our families is about American politics, but we never talk about heaven, we never talk about the Word of God, that is a problem. And what that problem is, is that we are Americans first, and we're Christians last. If that is a description of who we are this morning, we need to fast. We need to to fast from our news, and to get the real news from the Sermon on the Mount first. Or maybe if you're anything like, like I've been so many times as well. Maybe you came here very down this morning. It's very interesting how it is actually being, being um, shown and discovered that, that too much time spent on social media is actually a contributor to, to um, anxiety and to depression. If this is a description of who we are this morning, maybe how this looks like for us is to call a fast on Facebook. 
I once spent a very long time off of Facebook and off of Instagram. And I can tell you guys that just one day into it, I already felt like a zillion bucks. However it looks like for us in the ways that that we need to, to draw near to God and to give Him our undivided attention, do it. Do it. I close with this thought this morning, how we read of about this one instance in the Gospels where we find a man coming before Jesus very desperate. He's got this son who has had a demon his entire life, dating back all the way to childhood. He says, Lord, this demon in my son throws him into fires. It, it throws him into rivers trying to drown him. I brought him to your apostles, but, but they could not drive it out of him. Maybe you can. And with a sigh, Jesus says about his apostles, Oh, faithless generation, how much longer am I going to have to put up with you? He walks up and without even batting an eyelash, he drives the demon out and the demon comes screeching out of that young man and it goes back to hell. Well, afterwards, we see the apostles coming, coming there before Jesus, very, just, just very baffled. Jesus Believe us, we tried to get that demon out as hard as we could. We believe that we could get it out. Why wouldn't it go out? And what Jesus says is that there are some demons in this world where, where faith alone is not enough to drive them out. But this kind of demon that, that we just saw flee that young man, it only comes out through prayer and through fasting. And now can you see how the Sermon on the Mount now comes full circle? The last two things we have noticed, Jesus says, when you pray and when you fast, now hand in hand. And I don't have time at the very end of a message to even go into demonology, but I believe that there are demons present in this world and maybe even inside this auditorium in our hearts this morning that are far more destructive than the demons that we read about in Scripture. Demons like lust. Demons like self-centeredness. Demons like having a low self-esteem. Boy, do I know that one. And it's very likely that the only way demons such as this can can really fully exit out of our our hearts and out of our, our lives is through prayer. And is through fasting. Fasting is a feast to the human spirit. My brothers and sisters, in this week and in the days ahead, however it looks like for us, let's dig in. Let's dig into the spiritual banquet, to the spiritual assimilating, to the spiritual feast of fasting.